You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. the American Retail Federation says you have spent $1,001 on Christmas this year. That's the average. About 65% of it has been for gifts, the rest of it for food and other things like decorations and things that kind of go along with Christmas. That's kind of interesting what we spend on Christmas and on gifts because our mind on Christmas morning is usually on gifts. Now let me tell you where that comes from. It doesn't come from the American Retail Federation or from Hollywood or from capitalism. It comes out of Matthew chapter 2 and what these men called magi brought to Jesus. I often wonder, what does the world think about? Where where does the world think all of this comes from? Uh, Where did it come from, this whole day of celebration? I I wonder what the lost world, the pagan world, those who don't know Jesus Christ, why do they think they give gifts on a day like today? Why on this day? Why do we give gifts? Why do we take this day and set it apart? Well, one of the big reasons happens to be because these pagans who did not know Jehovah but had read the Torah and understood that there would be a a Jewish king that would be born and that a star would be the sign of that Jewish king, and they had been looking for him for over 1,500 years. And when they come to him, even these pagans understand that you brought a gift when you come to worship. Now, when you look at the life of Jesus and these three gifts that were given to him, he was given relatively very few other things. There was a little boy that came and gave him 
uh, two fish and five barley loaves. But he broke all that up and he fed people with it. There was a woman that came and all she had to offer, two things, tears that she used to wash his feet and she brought an expensive bottle of perfume that she broke and she poured it out over his head. And there was one other thing that he was given. It was a tomb. It was given to him in his death. A tomb, a family tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. No one else had been buried in that tomb. And so they gave that to Jesus to be buried in. There were a few other things that were given to him, but they were given to him in mockery. A crown of thorns was given to him. A purple robe uh, to make fun of him. Uh, as he claimed to be king of the Jews, a reed that they called a scepter. They gave that to him, and in his execution, they did give him a crossbeam. That was what Jesus was given in his lifetime. That's what he had as gifts. But we go back to these three gifts that these wise men brought, these magi. In tradition, they are given names, uh, Malchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. And uh, those three traditional names uh, go on in the legend and in the tradition to tell us that they were converted pagans, that they came and they worshiped Christ, they converted to Christianity, and that all three of them were martyred for their faith. Now, we don't know any of that. That's just tradition. We don't know that any of that is for real, but Herodotus, the, the, the historian, the father of history, the history of the Romans, he wrote and he said that there was a tribe of Medo-Persian magi who lived in the area of Parthia, the great uh, enemy of Rome, and that they were a tribe of what you would call magicians and wise men. Now, for over 1,500 years, that tribe, those wise men, that magi, had been looking for this star to appear. Now, in that 1,500 years, think about this, they watched the rise of the Chaldean Empire and the Chaldean moon god. They watched then that uh, empire decline, and they watched the rise of the Babylonian Empire and uh, the rise of the Babylonian Empire and the rise uh, of the worship of Marduk. These men, these magi watched the rise and the fall of empires and religions. They read Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Uh, they watched the rise of the Greeks and, and uh, the philosophy of the Greeks. And they read the philosophy of the Greeks. And they watched the rise of the Greek gods on Olympus. And then they watched it wane, and they saw the rise of the Roman Empire. They read Herodotus, and they read Seneca, and they read Cicero, and they watched the Romans as they took over the Greek gods and renamed them, and they saw this star so that when they came to Bethlehem, they came, listen, with empty hearts, hungry for a real religion, but hands that were full. And so they came with three gifts. The three gifts that I just showed these children here, they came first of all with gold. 
Gold is always seen as that which is the gift of kings. It's universally recognized that kings are adorned with gold. It's the one metal that man knows that does not tarnish, and now they bring it to one whose life will never be tarnished by sin. It is the gift of richness that they brought to him, of whom it was said, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3. It is the metal that men have always sought after, brought to him who would say, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19, verse 10. It is the metal that is considered to be the most enduring metal, brought to him who would say, I am the everlasting one. Now contrast that gift of gold to the gift of God. Listen to this. It is the metal hidden deep within the earth that has to be mined and brought up from the ground, then brought to him who would reveal to us all the hiddenness of God the Father. It is an inaccessible metal brought to him who would make access to God possible. Gold is the gift of wealth that was brought to the one of whom it was said he had nowhere to lay his head. Now beyond all of that, it's the gift of royalty. In the Old Testament, when we're told that the queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon, she comes and she brings what? She brings gold with her. Seneca tells us of the Parthian kings that no one could ever gain an audience with a Parthian king unless you brought a gift of gold with you. Uh, Back in uh, 1520, in uh, June of 1520, Henry VIII and Francis I of France met in Pas-de-Calais. They met because they were going to end their wars and they were going to end their disagreements and their their dislike of one another. They had about a month of games. It was games that they would put on and they would feast all during the day and they would feast all during the evening. And both these kings, Henry VIII of England and Francis I of Spain, came to that place and there it is called to this day the field of cloth of gold because both kings brought so much gold to that place to impress each other. So when the Magi bring to the Christ child the gift of gold, they are acknowledging this is royalty. This is a king. But they're also bringing the gift of frankincense, which is interesting To me, it's interesting because it is a rosin out of a tree. By the way, the word frankincense, at the root of the word frankincense, is the word white. It comes out white. Now, I want you to listen to as I talk about how they gather uh, frankincense and how they gather myrrh. They go and they listen to what they say. They pierce the tree, the Boswellia tree. It grows in Saudi Arabia and it grows in Somalia. They will pierce that tree... And when they pierce that tree, they say that the tree weeps. So that when they go to the tree to harvest, they harvest tears. 
So they call it harvesting the tears of frankincense because they pierced a tree and the tree would weep this rosin. Now they take it, they dry it, it comes out in this beautiful amber, light amber color, and you can take it and crush it. And when you crush it, if you go with me to Jerusalem, you walk through the old city, you'll just smell this all over the place. You'll smell that and you'll smell the baking of bread. You'll smell this frankincense because they burn it at so many shops uh, all through the old city. You just walk your way through the, the bazaar there and uh, this shop and that shop and this shop will be burning fr frankincense. It, it smells sweet. In fact, let me tell you something. It is found in perfumes today. If you have, um, it, did you get any Chanel for Christmas, ladies? Well, why not? I can't understand that. Uh, Chanel, uh, Coco, Chanel, Coco Chanel, Chanel number five, uh, Chance, all of that contains myrrh, uh, uh, contains frankincense. Uh, not only that, but uh, Gucci, all of Gucci's perfume has frankincense in it. Uh, Bobby Brown, y'all got on Bobby Brown today? It's got frankincense in it. Uh, all of these perfumes have some portion of frankincense because that's what the Jews did with it. Uh, they used it in a very special formula of incense that was given by God literally to Moses back in Exodus chapter 30. In fact, I'm going to read that to you. If you go back there, just put your finger in Matthew 2 and go back uh, to Exodus chapter 30. In verse 34, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself spices, stack tea with the long E, uh, it was a very sweet-smelling, or is a very sweet-smelling spice. Annika and galbanum. If you've got on Aramis today, you've got galbanum that's in that Aramis. And you mix all of that with, listen to what he says, pure frankincense. And that was what was taken and put on the golden altar that burned before the veil of the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And all of that uh, very special mixture, in fact, God said, you'd better not have anybody mix this up or you put them outside the family of Israel. That was used only in that Holy, of, uh, uh, holy place there on that incense altar, and it would create a great deal of smoke. You can go by these little shops in, in the old city of Jerusalem, and you'll see these little pieces of frankincense burning, and they send up all of this smoke, and it was picturesque of the prayers of the people of God that would go up before God. And so it was used for perfume, but there was one other use for that frankincense. Frankincense was used as it was mixed with oil as an anointing oil to anoint the high priest of Israel. They would take that frankincense, they would put it in with the oil, and they would go and they would anoint a man to be the high priest of Israel. So when these magi brought frankincense to the Christ child, I wondered just what else they had read in the old manuscripts and what did they pick up. I've come to the conclusion over the last two weeks that these people, these magi, understood much better who Christ was than the disciples did 
after three years being with Jesus. They brought the gift that would anoint a high priest. So when they brought frankincense, they were acknowledging the birth of the high priest. Every other high priest had been appointed by the law of Moses, but this one had been made high priest by the oath of God. Psalm 110 verse 4, I have sworn and will not change my mind, thou art a priest forever. Always before the high priest was a son of Aaron, who was a son of Levi, but now one comes who is high priest, who is the son of man, and is also the son of God. Always before the high priest had done his work in the temple. Now this high priest, we're told in Hebrews, will do his work in the heavenly tabernacle. Always before the high priest continually offered sacrifices. But now, again, in the book of Hebrews, we're told this high priest will sacrifice one time, once for all. Always before the high priest had been offering up the blood of bulls and goats, but now this high priest will offer up his own blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The high priesthood always worked at the altar. He always was offering sacrifice. He always did it in the temple. But now this baby that was born in Bethlehem's manger, this high priest, he becomes the sacrifice. His cross is the altar and his body is the temple. So when the Magi came and brought to him frankincense, they brought to him the gift that said, this is the high priest. But they also brought to him myrrh. It's amazing to me how accurate that old hymn is. They brought to him myrrh, this overshadowing of gloom in this gift that they brought this child. Myrrh is also a rosin. It is uh, from a tree that you find in Saudi Arabia and you find in parts of Africa. Now listen to how they gather it. They wound the tree and the tree bleeds. So they go when they wound the tree and they gather the blood or the rosin as they say the tree is bleeding. They take that. Myrrh is an interesting it's an interesting rosin. It's an interesting substance. Myrrh is used in perfumes. The same perfumes I just shared with you a moment ago, myrrh is also used in those perfumes. Uh, let me tell you, for well over 2,000 years, uh, they've not really changed some of these fragrances. Uh, at the base, the base is still frankincense and myrrh. The other fascinating thing about myrrh is that it was an antiseptic. Myrrh will kill some bacteria that known medicines today cannot kill. So it forms the basis of some medicine. And what I said to these children was true. It has all kind of medicinal uses. Uh, it's used in dentistry to clear up sores in the mouth. It's used uh, also in certain medicines uh, that treat diabetes because it will lower blood sugar. Uh, it has all kind of of uses in medicine, it is also an anesthetic. It, that is, it will numb pain. It's given in some countries uh, to control pain. That's why they mixed in myrrh 
with sour wine and offered it to Jesus to numb the pain that a crucifixion victim would go through. But do you know what it was used for mainly? The preparation of dead bodies. Now how grotesque and macabre can it be to bring a gift like that to a baby? You don't think about death with a baby. You think about new life. And yet the Egyptians used it to embalm bodies in Egypt. It was part of the spices that they would put in between the folds of the wrapping, the linen wrappings that they wrapped the body of Jesus in. Myrrh was something that was used to preserve that which had died. Now, I don't know if anybody else caught it. I bet you Mary did. Because you see, Mary, on the eighth day, of Jesus' life when they took him up to the temple uh, to have him circumcised and for her and for Joseph to go through the rite of purification, there was an old prophet there by the name of Simeon who looked at her and said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul. She knew something was coming. Simeon had tipped her off to that, and not only that, but now the gift of these magi tipped her off to something terrible was going to happen one day to this child. And she'd be the one that was there, the one that would not run away, the one that would sit at the foot of the cross. You see, that cross cast its shadow over that Bethlehem stable. It cast its shadow back over Golgotha. It cast its shadow back over uh, the Praetorian Hall uh, of Pilate where he passed judgment. It passed its shadow back over that upper room where they had that last Passover meal. It cast its shadow on back over Galilee and Capernaum and Bethsaida where he had his ministry. It cast a shadow on back over Nazareth and over the carpenter's shop where a little boy would grow up and learn a father's trade. It would go back beyond Bethlehem, back all the way to Mount Moriah when Abraham took Isaac there to be sacrificed at the word of God, back further than that to the gates of Eden where God had killed an animal and skinned it in order to clothe his children, Adam and Eve, back beyond that into the heart of God where the word of God tells us that he was slain from the foundation of the earth. Peter's going to tell us in Acts chapter 2 in that incredible sermon that he preached that day that Jesus Christ was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God before God ever created this universe and this world. He knew Jesus would go to Calvary. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says this, but the Lord was pleased to crush him and putting him to grief if he would render himself, listen to this, a gift offering, a guilt offering, the, the, the offering, the gift of becoming our guilt. Now that's why we really gather on this Sunday morning, this Christmas Sunday morning. We're here 
We remember the birth. But let me tell you something. We should be gathered here to give him thanks uh, for the gift he's given us. We give each other gifts because we follow the tradition of these magi in bringing gifts to Jesus so we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's good. It's a good thing to give each other gifts because in the giving of a gift, we recognize these who come and bring to Jesus these gifts. But the real gift is Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's the real gift. It's like going to somebody's birthday party, and instead of you giving them a gift, they give you a gift. He gave us the gift of permanency, eternity. You see, he gives to us not just life now, but in his salvation, he gives us life eternal. We shall never die. He gives us the gift of fragrance. What does Paul tell us? He says this, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Do you realize that as Christians, when you come to Christ, he sweetens you up? Now, some of you hadn't heard that yet, but he sweetens you up. You become a fragrance, listen, to one another, Paul says this, to one another, to those that are safe, and we become in a stinking world that sweet smell that passes through the marketplace. And he brings to us the gift of healing. You know, I I said to the deacons last night, it's the first time in over two years that I've been able to serve them and it meant much to me, mainly because I, I know I'm, I bore you with history and I think about history and I read history and, and nobody but, you know, me probably enjoys that, but I do. And it was meaningful to me to do that based on what went before us as people. And we've gone through two years of COVID. Let me tell you something. He brings something better than a vaccine for COVID. He he, he doesn't just heal us from a common cold. He doesn't just heal us from a little upset stomach. He brought the greatest healing of all when he took care of the most dreaded disease of all, and that's sin. Now, COVID killed a lot of people, but let me tell you something. Sin is going to kill every one of us. That's pretty good statistics right there. All of us will die. We will die because of sin. He comes and has died in our place. And he gives us eternal life. And he heals us for by his stripes. You were healed. You know, I am also somewhat of an Anglophile. That is, I love English history. Do you know on the average, when King Charles was prince, he averaged 800 gifts a year? About like my wife. Um, (laughs) About 800 gifts a year. One of the most expensive gifts he ever received He received from the Saudi prince, Al-Walid. 
who gave to him a necklace of 37 flawless rubies and two other pieces of jewelry made up of diamonds and sapphires and emeralds and rubies. In today's economy, they would be worth around $3 million. Wouldn't you love to be able to give a gift like that? Just, hey, a little something I picked up for you, you know, <laughs> three million bucks, that's all. You watch as he is coronated king this coming year. That'll be the thing to watch. And if you can find something that will tell you, you watch the gifts that will be given to him. They will be fascinating. But I want to tell you this, all of them together won't be able to touch the gift that God gave us in Bethlehem's manger. Let's stand. Have you received that gift? That's the answer. You know, a gift is not a gift until it's received. It's just something that you purchased. But when you give it, can you imagine someone saying, no, I don't want that. No, thank you. That's not for me. I, I don't care to receive that kind of gift. I can't imagine that. No matter what the gift is, you're always polite. Thank you so much for what you gave to me. Well, God has a gift for you this Christmas morning, and that gift is the gift of salvation. It's the gift of eternal life. It's the gift of a changed life. It's a gift of spiritual healing. And every bit of it is just, it's free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't order it over the internet. Amazon doesn't have it. Prime can't get it. But it's yours right now if you'll simply receive it. If you just pray in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I do receive your gift of eternal life, your gift of forgiveness, your gift of mercy, your gift of long-suffering and kindness, your gift of grace, Father, I receive. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I cannot save myself. And I come to the only one who can save. Jesus Christ. Boy, what a great day to come and to proclaim that I've given my life to Jesus Christ than this Christmas day. What a great day to do that. What a great day to come and say, I want to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. What a great day to come and say, we want to put our life in the life of a congregation, in the life of a local church that's making a difference. We want to come this morning and follow Jesus Christ in baptism. I don't know of a better day than for you to make a decision than Christmas Sunday morning. Father, thank you for this day. We can't, we can't take in all that this day means. We look at these gifts and we understand that they represent something of you, that you are our king, that you are our great high priest, and that you died for us. And that out of your death and your resurrection, we too can have life eternal. Father, 
speak to us. Draw us. May we in this moment of invitation genuinely worship you. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Your head's bowed. What's God saying to you? Would you come this morning? I don't know of a better day than this day to look back on and say, that's the day I gave my life to Christ. That's the day I joined the church. That's the day I settled the issue about baptism. You come right now as God speaks. Our heads bowed. Christians are praying. You come. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.